What is up everybody? How's it going? Welcome to another episode of Not Rocket Science. This is Sean. I'm here in my apartment recording at night for a change. Haven't done this in a while because I haven't recorded on a weekend in a while. But I was able to fit one in this weekend. Hope you guys are doing well. This episode's going to be a little different than some of the more recent episodes because it is about one topic that is not current events, is not based on something happening now, but talking about a brand. And that brand is Ed Jowden, number 23 Jumpman, know what I mean? I did one of these for Supreme a while back, talking about the rise of Supreme out of the 90s New York City youth skate scene, Um, and I kind of highlighted some of the key features that made it kind of stand out compared to some of the other brands at the time that at certain points... Whereas big, bigger, maybe a little less big, but still pretty influential, etc. Um, part of what I like doing on this show is really just honing in on what I would guess you could call cultural perfect storms and really picking apart all of the factors that create something that winds up being iconic or you know transcends just the immediate space that they're in um it's really interesting when you really break it down because sometimes what you think is the main driver may not be the case um sometimes it's just wacky timing sometimes it's exactly what you may think but there's some behind the scenes stuff that create these what if scenarios um that didn't happen but if they did happen it would be really interesting and i feel like air jordan the Jordan brand um, and their partnership with Nike is a really good one because, for one, it started this whole like streetwear movement off um, and athletic wear in general. The market for athletic wear, from a monetary standpoint, was nothing back pre-Jordan compared to post-Jordan. Um Michael Jordan and the Jordan brand and Nike in general was the main catalyst that sparked that whole movement. But there's a lot of interesting stuff when you dig into the backstory. Um, so what I want to do is kind of just give some history on the brand a little bit. Uh, you know, a lot of this stuff is in 
modern streetwear folklore now and also there's a lot of resources on youtube um documentaries i watched multiple times uh there's a documentary series on netflix called abstract um it kind of highlights very famous designers that are kind of that you could describe as some of the canonical designers in their domains whether it be set design graphic design photography and sneaker design or footwear design uh they do an episode on tinker hatfield who is other than michael jordan himself probably the biggest piece of the jordan brand puzzle as far as influence and impact he was the lead designer on some of the biggest air jordan silhouettes of all time um including the three the four the five the 11 other than the ones pretty much all of the major jordan silhouettes that get re-released every year and have all the hype beasts go crazy and come out with new colorways and all that um he's the guy that did all of it and he's most people who are into sneakers you know he's looked at as kind of like i don't know the johnny ive i guess if you're into like tech hardware something like that he's like the guy from a design standpoint um it was a really interesting documentary it went into his process um as someone that is a designer but in a totally different kind of space it's fun to look at somebody who does the same sort of creative process to solve problems that are similar but very different than what I do. Um, I've mentioned on this show several times I'm a user experience designer. I work for a food tech company, and I work on e-commerce. So I'm designing templates and online systems to get people to buy products, in my case food, groceries, things like that. Whereas what he's doing is a lot of the same problem-solving exercises to design something that inherently has enough value to be just sold um meaning by value i mean it could be performance value so some sort of technological footwear breakthrough that so for example the air max 90 with the with the air bubbles um or it could be value just a really nice silhouette with better quality material. So like the Jordan 11s with the patent leather and the shiny kind of glossy leather feel to it. Um, but sometimes there's these little things that are based, influenced by something totally different um, that creates this this like breakthrough moment. So going back to the Air Max 90, for example, the exposed air bubble. Um, and on that abstract documentary, Tinker Hatfield talks about seeing this building in France, um, it's often referred to as the inside out building, the center Pompidou. But basically what's interesting about it is that all of the inner workings of the building, so like the piping and the frames and things like that are all on the outside. So it's like inside out. All the things you typically hide in the interior of a building are exposed on the exterior of the building and we're given all primary colors so it has this kind of bold industrial kind of ugly but also kind of cool looking aesthetic um that i guess influenced tinker hatfield 
to expose the technology inside the shoe that up to that point those types of things were always hidden in the soles of the shoes um and that's a really good example of just like a design aha moment and showing you how the world can kind of influence your design um i've not had anything like that happen so far in designing a website but hey i got time um but the whole point of this episode just to get back on subject is really just to ponder why people still care about air jordan you know michael jordan's been retired for a long time now um they're releasing new models here and there, to my knowledge, but a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing on Instagram, places like Hypebeast, High Snobiety, GQ, whatever it is, like a lot of it's just releases of old silhouettes that get all the hype, or collaborations. So, like Vir- Virgil Abloh did the off-white uh, ones, the sky blues, and those were huge online, at least in the hype world. Um, and my question is just why I mean they're classics so there should be the way Chuck Taylor's for example are classics you know they should always be part of the sneaker world and something that's always considered a good look but to me Jordan's still a global phenomenon and the thing that's most interesting about it is that it's a global phenomenon being fueled by products that are now you know 30 years old 30 plus years old in certain cases and i just wanted to dig deep into to why that is um but i also think it'd be cool to share some backstory so one of the most interesting things about the whole jordan brand is that michael jordan himself didn't give two shits about nike when he was coming out he wanted nothing to do with nike michael jordan in college was a huge adidas fan I mean, and this is like peak 80s, early hip-hop, run-DMC era. Actually, let me correct myself. Um, When he was in college, that would probably be a little bit before run-DMC era. Because he was in college from, I believe, like 81 to 83 or 4, something like that. Um, But when run-DMC was first getting going... You know, Michael Jordan and Run DMC guys were influenced by the same stuff. They're like the same age, same time period. They both broke through in the mainstream at the same time. Um, in 1984, that's when Run DMC had that Rock Box video. That was like their first hit, and that's Jordan's rookie year. So they're coming from the same era, and Adidas were the shit supposedly back then. Um, I don't know. But it seems to be the case, and I do know for a fact Jordan really, really wanted to sign with Adidas. He also was open to Converse at the time. So what's crazy about all this is back then Converse was running shit when it came to basketball sneakers. A lot of people forget, but late 70s and um, the early, early 80s, Converse was the brand for basketball shoes which is crazy because that's only 35 to 40 years ago it's not that long really and they had magic johnson they had larry bird you know they had most of the big nba stars on contract and the contracts were so bad at the time 
a superstar sneaker contract with Converse back then was $100,000 a year, which is laughable. Um, And Jordan took a meeting with Converse, and that's basically what Converse pitched them, Um, the -the run-of-the-mill superstar quote-unquote contract. And he dropped Converse because, A, he liked Adidas more, B, his dad was in the meeting and was like, basically, what, well, what, what are you going to do from an innovation standpoint? Like, what new shit do you have? Like, what's, like, what is five years, ten years from now is going to be unique about the models you're pushing that's going to keep, you know, Michael Jordan interested? And supposedly Converse had no real good answer to that. Uh, it was probably a little panic session in the meeting. And that kind of validated to Jordan that Converse wasn't the way to go. Even though he wore Converse's in college, but that was only because he had to, because his coach was getting paid to have his players wear Converse. Um, I'm getting this from a variety of sources. A lot of YouTube videos go into this, by the way. Um, Some old-school ESPN documentaries, that abstract Tinker Hatfield documentary, and some articles I read up, by the way. That's just that's just all I'm really going on here. But all this stuff is out there. Um, but the reason why Michael Jordan went to Nike is, A, Nike continually asked him to get a meeting. He said, I don't even want a meeting with them. Um, he His agent who worked at ProServe Sports Marketing Agency, created by the infamous Donald Dell, who was the first mega sports agent um, was just like, hey, man, just take a meeting. So he finally took a meeting, and Nike basically gave him the red carpet, like blood red carpet treatment. Nike was in bad shape at that time, and they basically took a gamble on Michael Jordan. They knew they had to get a star, and they did their research on the 84 draft, who all the players were, and basically scouted all of them and came to the conclusion that Michael Jordan was going to be the guy that they're going to roll with and roll a dice on. So they offered, because Michael Jordan hated Nike's basketball shoes at the time, and that was the problem. He thought they were ugly, basic, wonder-bred-ass sneakers. So in the meeting, Michael Jordan was like, I don't like your shoes, blah, blah, blah. And Nike was like, all right, well, you can, you know, we'll take your feedback and try to create something that you'll like for sure. And that's the first thing that really um, piqued his interest because no other company said that. Everyone was just like, going to give you your model and that's it and pay you. Um, The fact that Nike was willing to be inclusive in their design process and collaborative gave Jordan some interest, some initial interest. Design inclusiveness. Wow, what a concept. Anyway, um... Beyond that, they were going to pay him a shit ton more than those other companies. Um, They were going to pay him half a million a year, which was unheard of at the time. The most expensive contract at the time, I think, was 150000 And he was going to get half a mil. And stock options. So his contract was a five-year deal, half a mil a year, plus stock options, with a total net value, I think, of $7 million which was totally unheard of. 
Um, there, it was based on him. There were three things he had to hit or else Nike would void the contract after one year. But it was like become an all-star average 20 points and one other thing. And he did all three in his rookie year, so it didn't matter. Um, so that's kind of what sealed it, money and the fact that the design team would offer to allow him to give feedback on his on his shoes to make something he actually would want to wear, which is kind of common sense. You know, not rocket science. All right, I promise I'll stop doing that from here on out every time I say something that seems commonsensical. I promise I'll stop doing that. It's a shameless plug for this shameless show. I apologize. But it I think it actually worked there. Anyway, anyway. Bottom line, Nike was hungrier, they wanted it more, and eventually they were able to convince Jordan to sign with them. So then once they were signed, supposedly they came up with the concept of Air Jordan as a brand for him on a whim. Um Peter Moore, who is the main designer of the Jordan 1, a uh, big wig at Nike at the time, just threw it out there in a meeting and everyone was like, yup, that's it. That's the one for sure. And they just rolled with it. And there was some interview where Peter Moore was saying he knew it was the right thing because on the flight back, he saw some little kid get wings, like those flight wings, and it just seemed almost serendipitous. And then that was the influence for the original Jordan logo, the one that's on the ones, that's the Wings logo. Um, so after that, he just designed the Wings logo, and that was what was on the one. The one, though, came out in 85. Holy shit, it just started raining like crazy here in New York City. It sounds like fucking... Hurricane Katrina out there. Anyway, anyway, back to the story. The one came out in '85 and '84. He was rocking some airships, and what's funny is there's the whole Nike marketing campaign about how you know the Jordans were banned and everything. Not true. The airships in black and red were not welcomed by David Stern because the Chicago Bulls were concerned about their flashiness. Back then, everyone wore boring-ass white Converse's for the most part, or white Adidas or white Nikes. No one was wearing anything black at the time. And he was wearing black. He wore it at the All-Star Game, but he never really got fined on paper. Um, there's no like actual proof that he got fined for those. Um, but there was a, a letter written by David Stern saying that he would get fined if he wore them. It was like a thousand bucks or something, um, and then like five thousand, something like that. But he, it wasn't Jordans. Jordans were never fined. The Jordan models were actually reworked because of that threat, and then those Chicago's. Um, the red ones with the black Nike logo and the and the white the white toe. Um that was the model that they went with because of the issues with the black and red airships that he wore his rookie season in preseason games and I think maybe the All Star game, something like that. Uh anyway. 
those early days with Jordan were a little rocky um, because Jordan, as far as performance goes, from what I understand, did not really like the ones, and he also didn't like the twos. So I guess by 1980, I guess since the 85s were the ones, 86s were the twos, yeah, by 87, he was actually getting fed up with Nike, and Nike was genuinely concerned that they were going to lose Jordan because of his his frustration with the with the models that they were giving him um this is from the abstract documentary so that's when Phil Knight the overlord of Nike basically told Tinker Hatfield who he'd worked with on and off I think at that point that he would be designing the Jordan 3 which in my opinion might be the best Jordan of all time it's just so classic I mean I love the one now too I think the one's an awesome silhouette and some of the other stuff like the 11s are amazing but I can't wear the 11s I look ridiculous wearing the 11s it doesn't work for me it's too flashy but as pieces of art I absolutely love the 11s but in terms of something I can actually wear it's like the ones, the threes, the fours, and the fives are really the only ones I can honestly feel comfortable wearing. Um, a lot of the other ones are more basketball shoes. I actually like the sixes. They're just a little chunky. Um, a little too too much of a thickum for my tastes. I like my shoes a little thin. I don't like them thick, chunky ones. Um, but the colors are cool on some of the other models. Um... If I'm going to play pickup, a lot of Jordan's work. But as far as just wearing with like jeans or whatever, it's hard to beat the threes. I like I like the fours. The new, the Travis Scott ones that got released recently are really cool. Fives, I like some of the fives. There's these wolf gray. The Koss fives, those gray ones, those are really cool. Uh, but the threes are just so classic. And they're also, uh, they're mids, they're not highs, which is interesting. Uh, because Jordan actually requested that at the time. He's like, I want a mid. Jordan seemed to be really into this idea of sneakers that you can also wear with, like, casual clothes, dressier clothes. Because um, the, th- the three, he wanted a midsole because he wanted something to be more fashionable and less chunky. And the 11 was something where he he expressed the desire that he wanted a shoe that he can also wear with, like, a tuxedo. And that was the inspiration for the 11 and the glossy patent leather and all that stuff. But anyway, I just personally love the 3. I love it's how flexible it is. Um, and the meeting about the 3 was interesting because Jordan, he, Nike, Nike and Jordan's relationship was really rocky um he almost didn't even show up to the meeting where tinker hatfield showed off the three for the first time they scheduled this meeting he played golf before the meeting with people telling him to dump nike he he finally just shows up to the meeting four hours late the meeting had jordan's camp phil knight tinker hatfield and a couple other Nike execs there. 
And he basically showed up late and was like, what you got? So Tinker Hatfield showed off the shoe. They had collaborated a bit. Um, Jordan expressed some of the stuff he wanted. He wanted a midsole. He wanted um, something innovative, something new. That's where the concept of the elephant leather patterns came in, something that you've never seen on a basketball shoe before. That's where the midsole came in, making it a bit shorter than most basketball shoes that you'll ever see. And then Tinker Hatfield went the extra mile by designing an entire clothing line using the same design patterns and made samples of everything and made samples of the shoe, put it in Jordan's hand. And when Jordan saw all this stuff, that's when he was convinced, like, all right, I'm sold. You guys killed it. And Phil Knight actually looks at that moment as one of the moments that saved Nike. Um, Because if they lost Jordan, sure, they could have recovered, but it's very likely that Nike would never come close to being the brand that it is now. Nike's brand equity is fueled by their gamble on Michael Jordan. Bottom line, Nike was not a big deal back in those days. They were like what Puma is right now in the footwear world or Under Armour, maybe, maybe. Um, But they were not, by any stretch of the imagination, the force that they are now at all. And the other thing that's really funny about all this is back originally when Jordan signed with Nike, the reason why Adidas didn't really have much interest in him, or at least the execs didn't. So the footworkers actually from Adidas wanted to sign Jordan. They wanted to match Nike's deal. Um, They saw the potential in him. But the bigwigs over in Deutschland did not want to sign Michael Jordan because he was too short. At the time, the NBA was a center-driven league. Big guys, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's. At the time, Patrick Ewing, he was the biggest thing in college. Those guys were considered the most marketable guys because they're big. It's like same thing as professional wrestling. Back in those days, Vince McMahon wanted to juice up all the wrestlers and make them look like fucking cartoons. And the one that looked the most cartoonish and also could talk on a microphone was the one that he invested in. Uh, The NBA was sort of like that at the time. But not so much because of roids, but the seven-footers were the ones with the big money potential. And because Adidas was a German company kind of removed from the game of basketball, they can't see the granular details of what... If you were to study Michael Jordan's college tape, you know, what he offered as a player and what potential he had. Um, And they pass on him. And it sounds silly now. You know, everyone, there's all these YouTube videos about, you know, how Adidas messed up so bad, whatever. But I can't really blame them. I mean, Michael Jordan was a great college player, but he wasn't the Michael Jordan of college. Like, he wasn't prime NBA Michael Jordan the college years. You know, it wasn't he wasn't that good. He was really good. Oh, he was really good in college, but he wasn't the greatest college basketball player of all time at all. Um might not even be the best college basketball player at UNC of all time. So, they didn't get it. 
Nike got it, took the gamble, and they're off to the races. So after that meeting with the three, you know, things were kind of off to the races. From there, the relationship with, with Nike was pretty good from what I understand, and they did their thing, created some classic models, um, and then Jordan retired, and when he retired, I think Tinker Hatfield designed one more sneaker, which was the 15, which is, in my opinion, one of the worst Jordans, to be honest, but uh, hey, he, he, he had a pretty good batting average with uh, his design, so no big deal. Um, what's crazy is how Jordan as a brand since Jordan's playing days has sustained excellence just by switching up models, doing some custom collaborations with high-end streetwear designers, you know, Virgil Abloh, Cause, etc. how they're able to keep their momentum just releasing the same shit year after year. New colorway for the ones, a new colorway for the threes, a new colorway for the twelves, the elevens, etc. Um, because what's interesting is now, you know, Jordan as a brand is a standalone entity. It doesn't even matter what Michael Jordan, the person, does. Michael Jordan's a fairly reclusive guy these days for such a global icon. He's not somebody you're seeing in interviews in the limelight all the time. You know, he keeps it quiet, um, but his brand doesn't. Now they're moving into college football. Uh, I think the University of Florida is rocking Jordan brand jerseys this year. University of Michigan wears them. Obviously, University of North Carolina's football team wears Jordan jerseys. Like, it's, I feel like Jordan is in a healthier place now than it was when I was a little kid when Jordan was still playing. And that's totally just due to the relationship between Jordans and hip-hop. Uh, it's something that's been touched up upon in tons of videos on YouTube. Murs on Hip-Hop DX has a really good video about this. Uh, but really, Jor- the Jordan brand was able to leverage the rise of hip-hop. And if you look at the rise of hip-hop in the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s and Jordan as a brand like they accelerated at the same pace at the same time obviously the relationship between the two is symbiotic to some degree um, but I think the Jordan brand benefited a lot more than what Jordan did for hip-hop itself but even if you did if you look back to even the ones um, in that hip-hop DX video that talks about this they point out that LL Cool J and his debut album on the back was wearing the Jordan 1s. So even from the beginning of this shit, hip-hop was in it and saw it as something cool and new. And I mean, it makes sense because the reason why the the black and red airships, the predecessor of the one, had all this controversy with the NBA and David Stern writing a letter about fining and all that shit was because it represented counterculture on some level. It, uh, the Bulls were concerned that they were too gaudy. And they weren't even gaudy, they were just different. They were just black and red, not white and red. Um, so it was it was a bit nonconformist, if anything else. And hip-hop, the lineage of hip-hop is totally something that can be considered nonconformist, counterculture, etc. Um, 
because you know if you look at streetwear culture now it's not really tied to basketball anymore it's a lifestyle thing it's totally just a lifestyle aesthetic not a basketball aesthetic and Jordan as a brand was able to jump away oh god that was a terrible terrible pun that I didn't want to do jump away from just being a basketball brand into a lifestyle brand and you can make a very good argument that hip-hop has a lot to do with that I mean you can talk about the commercials you know those commercials with Spike Lee you know those are the shoes all right Spike Lee isn't a rapper but Spike Lee is you know heavily heavily influential in the in when it comes to hip-hop culture particularly the early days you know, he did the the Public Enemy Fight the Power music video for Do the Right Thing. You know, he directed He Got Game. He directed the Scenario music video. You know, here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. Say what, say what, what's the sign up, yo? You know, that introduced the world to Busta Rhymes. Come on now. Chickity chocolate, the chocolate chicken. All that shit. One of the best music videos. One of the best rap music videos of all time. I don't know if it's one of the best music videos of all time. One of my favorite rap music videos of all time. To me, it's the quintessential posse cut, uh, along with maybe like Cream from Wu-Tang Clan. But you had countless rappers wearing Jordans in those early 90s. When Jordan was really like going on his first run of titles, that's kind of when it, the whole thing blew up, and you just saw every rapper wearing Jordans at that point. They had the coolest colorways. I mean, the colorways were just really appealing. Plus, they were considered premium sneakers. They were more expensive than your average basketball shoe. You know, part of being rap is you know posturing, peacocking, talking about your shit that you got. So it makes sense. Um, and that relationship's carried all the way to now, which I think is what is a huge factor in what fuels its current revel- uh, relevance, along with hypebeast culture. But the only reason the hypebeast and streetwear culture is a thing is because of hip hop. You got songs now that's still like Jumpman, 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 I'm the Zonda, woo! You know, that. They don't talk about Air Jordans necessarily in that song, but they're fucking talking about Air Jordans. I mean, Drake was signed by, by Air Jordan for a while. I think he might have just left for Adidas, I'm pretty sure. That was the rumor when the Pusha T song came out and all that. Like he was he was waiting to announce his his son's name for an Adidas campaign or something. But before that, you know, Drake was on Air Jordan and you know, he did the Jumpman song and that's a perfect example of how Jordans can stay relevant. When Michael Jordan's old ass is probably on a beach somewhere smoking cigars and playing golf all day. It's this idea of understanding to maintain relevance. You cannot tie yourself just to the athlete and just to the sport. Jordan had to grow and had to be a brand that goes far beyond basketball, Michael Jordan playing basketball, or even sports. It has to jump into lifestyle culture every day where... And it successfully did that, but you can argue that the main reason why it was able to successfully do that is because rappers wore their shit. And they get credit because they design stuff cool enough for rappers to be attracted to the gear and everything. You know, starting with LL Cool J, you know, Ice-T had a famous, I think, like, magazine cover or something where he was wearing Jordans, you know, and the list goes on. But... 
Hip-hop is the entity that places the seed in that 13-year-old kid in 2018 where he listens to Drake or Future or Migos or whoever talking about their J's and they Google J's and they see the Jordans and because Tinker Hatfield is a beast designer, he actually likes what he sees and then he researches them, asks his mom to get them. If the mom, you know, if he's a rich kid, his mom might just buy it for him. If not, he has to mow lawns or whatever. And then he buys it, and then he wears them, and then he becomes a rapper, and then he raps about it, and it's just a cycle that continues to make Nike money. Um, but you know, I think hip hop's the key to all this, and you know, hypebeast.com and all these websites continuously write about Jordans, write about the releases, write about the apps now for those releases. But all of that stuff, high snobiety, hype beast culture, all that shit is a byproduct of hip-hop. Period. Supreme, all that stuff, off-white, it's all a byproduct of hip-hop. You know, I make this argument all the time that hip-hop is more influential than anything else in the past 30 years, culturally. Now, I guess you can say 40 years. I've been making this argument for almost 10 years now. Um, and I think Jordan, as a case study, is just another example of why that's true. And I think Jordan as a brand, is an example of some really interesting uh, pioneering business history where you had a lot of initial shaky dynamics at play that really, really could have reshaped history. Just the smallest things in meetings, um, just however Michael Jordan was feeling on any given day. You know, if you just the smallest change could have totally reshaped history as we know it. Nike as a company, Jordan as a brand, Adidas as a brand, maybe even Converse as a brand. Um, Hip hop, hype beast culture to a degree, all that shit. All of it could have been totally different if Michael Jordan didn't show up to a meeting one day or had. A negative reaction to something that he had a positive reaction to or felt like he just wanted to be on Adidas no matter what and took a crappy contract or took Converse's contract. You know, Converse could have been the brand that bought Nike and not vice versa. So it's pretty crazy to think about. It's just a fun slice of business history and a cool model of looking at consumer behavior, counterculture, and I guess the main theme that I keep going back to is the the relationship between culture, product, technology, design, etc. So yeah, I just wanted to talk about Jordans today, because I've naturally just seen a lot of Jordan stuff recently in the past week or so. I watched that Tinker Hatfield documentary again seeing a lot of uh, release info on some upcoming models, um, a lot of ones, 
I'm really into the ones right now. And I'm just getting that itch. I'm getting that itch to fucking buy another pair of sneakers that I don't need. Um, but I think I want a pair of ones. It's classic. Classic material. And it made me just YouTube binge watch as I do. A bunch of historical videos about the brand, the logo. Also the logo. I don't know if a lot of people know, but... There's a whole legal, muddy history with the Jordan Jumpman logo. Um, so first of all, that pose he's making is not him dunking the ball. It's him with a ball in his hand, sort of dunking the ball, but doing a, a ballerina pose. And what's interesting about it is he did that pose in a magazine when he was still at North Carolina, but going on the Olympic teams for the 84 Olympics. And in Life magazine, there's a spread of him doing that Jumpman pose in his Olympic jumpsuit and some New Balances. He's wearing New Balance sneakers. And then when Nike came out with the Jumpman logo, um, which... Is based off of another, I guess, magazine photo shoot. The it's a classic one. It's him wearing the Jordan ones um, and the backdrop of Chicago. He looks like he's on just like a, a playground court or something. Um, he's doing the same kind of pose, and there was a lawsuit where the Olympic photographer who did the Life magazine sued Nike. So, long story short, there's just a, a big back and forth. On just that logo, um, let alone all the actual sneakers. Um, I think I'm going to wrap it here. I didn't want this one to be too long. Um, but, yeah, let me know if you guys have any thoughts or any insight. Or did I get anything wrong with, with any of these facts um, regarding the Jordan brand? And do you think hip-hop's the main reason why it's still so relevant even though Jordan's been gone from the game and to an extent out of uh, the public limelight at this point. Yeah, let me know what you guys think. Um, hit me up on Instagram, NRS underscore show, Twitter, same name. You can email at notrocketscienceshow at gmail.com. That's notrocketscienceshow at gmail.com. I'd love any feedback, um, any questions you may have, any hate mail you want to send um, also on Instagram if you like the content I try to be creative with the content I try to make these like silly memes um, if you like it a follow would be awesome but if you don't like it don't feel compelled to follow I don't want to be a slimy desperate marketer being like follow please boom 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 if you don't like the content but if you generally like the content genuinely like the content um yeah any support would be absolutely awesome um anytime anyone listens to any one of these i'm blown away uh anytime someone comments on instagram page it makes my day so it'd go a long way thank you guys hope you guys have a great week and i'll see you next time release episodes every monday so Subscribe on 
Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you may listen to your podcasts. And just know that I release episodes every Monday. Hope you guys have a good one. Thank you so much. Peace.